You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, for what is uh, Thursday, July 9th. Um, hope everybody's doing well. Um, you know, as we're here in the midst of summer, seeing where, you know, summer will take us, seeing where the fall will take us, September, obviously, so to speak here. Uh, your host, Jeff Lloyd uh, uh, from Sports Illustrated, Pete Smith, joining me here. Uh, I've got some topics to get to today, and you know, some of it, you know, it's not maybe reiterating, it's more confirming. Um, first one here, and if you haven't checked out, um, first things first, Doug Farrar is one of the best in this business. Business, Congratulations, Doug, on getting married over the last week or so. All the best to you and your new bride. Along with that, Doug has started a podcast. Um, it's not just football. Uh, Doug is big into music. Doug is definitely a, uh, va- you know, a, a guy of varying interests. Uh, go ahead, check that out. He's done a fantastic job. I believe he's got two episodes out to this point. Um, from Doug, um, the, everybody where we talked about, you know, where this Browns defense is headed and what Joe Woods is going to do, you know, the nickel is the new base. Well, last year, nickel made up 59% of all dropbacks in the NFL, but what was actually surprising in Doug's research is Pete, that in 2019 defenses played dime almost 21% of the time played base 18% of the time which means defenses are putting, you know, six DBs on the field more than they're actually putting on, putting four, which we talked about in the emphasis of the acquisitions the Browns had made this offseason. Um, we talked about the Chiefs where, you know, what really got going for them when they got it later into the season, when they got to the playoffs was really the fact that, you know, they're going to score a lot of points. So they don't have the linebackers to basically essentially combat teams just going to, you know, go to three, four wide receiver sets and the fact that teams are going to be behind going to be behind against the chiefs and they're going to have to throw the ball a lot when the chiefs realized this and went more nickel went more dime is when that team took off and was, you know, obviously helped ride them to what's going to be a super bowl title. We've talked about this with, you know, what the Browns are planning on doing. Um, look at the numbers, look at the way this stuff was addressed in the off season. You know, you bring in three safeties, you know, you, you keep adding to the cornerback position, um, it's, you know, this numbers that, you know, Doug gave us here, they're only going to get higher in 2020, Pete. This is, you know, it, it, yes, it's a copycat league. And, you know, with the way offenses are geared now, it's it's almost like pointless to keep saying it at this point. But this is the norm. And this stuff is only going to trend higher and higher. Well, it it, it will so long as you have the personnel to do it um, because you know nickel is essentially the middle and depending on on what you're going up against be it uh, a bunch of receivers or tight ends you may alter one way or the other but if you're a team that has a a group of effective talented safeties then you may not need to add more size and you know linebacker bodies to deal with uh, those tight end teams, you may be able to do it with safety. So if you have the personnel, and I think that's why the Browns are trying to go this way, then you, you can stay sort of smallish to defend that. And if you can't, then you're going to have to put more linebackers in the field. And the Browns have, to this point, made a pretty clear determination that linebackers not hugely important to what they want to do. They, they need them, but it's not going to define – uh, how they play defense, the, the safety position is more important. And I, and I think that's in line with where things are headed. 
And, and you know what you brought in here, and this you know obviously leads to you know how the linebacker position is going to be used, what's going to be used. Um, the linebackers are most likely look what's going to get you on the field at the linebacker position, Pete, is going to be what you can do against the run, because if it's going to be nickel, it's going to be dime. They're not going to care so much what is going to be coverage. When we're going to stop the run, we're going to stop the run. And you know when we're committing to that aspect of it with six defensive backs on the field, if you can cover as a linebacker, that's great. And for you know anybody who wants to think Mac Wilson is ages at that, you know aces at that, he's not. I mean, you guys want to talk to talk about him like he's one of the premier in the game. No, the best coverage linebacker you had no longer is here. He plays for the Jacksonville Jaguars here. It's going to be what you can do both of. You can't have a liability. So where you have a player like Phillips who can do. Both, and I'm not going to proclaim that Jacob Phillips is a pro bowler or he's going to be defensive player rookie of the year is, but if you're going to run nickel and dime or even dime specifically, and you have Mac Wilson out there, guess what the opposing offense is going to do? They're going to come to the line with either a pass play cold or a running play cold. Guess what they're going to do? They're probably going to motion in either what'll be the tight end who's probably got flexed or what they're going to, you're just going to run because you're going to end up going five on four, six on four, and you're going to take your chances with your running back against Mac Wilson. So whoever's going to play the dime has to be somewhat responsible enough, smart enough to know what a run fit is and know what his responsibility is. Otherwise, there won't be a need to pass the ball. Sure. I mean, and the Browns targeted a bunch of kids that they think are smart. If you listen to any press conference talking about the draft picks, the some – version or synonym for the word smart is used throughout and consistently and thoroughly. That's something that they're going to want to emphasize. Uh, Jacob Phillips, that's a big, big thing they like about him is how well he sees the game and how well he understands what's going on in processes at a high level. Um, because of the way that Joe Woods wants to be able to disguise coverages in addition to just having players who can sort of understand what the offense is doing, he needs people that can be reliable in terms of, of doing those things, of being able to read, being able to react quickly, process information at a high level, uh, and, rea- and and go off of it quickly is, is critical. And that is a big reason why I think the Browns loved Grant Delpit, and that's why I think they really like Jacob Phillips. Uh, so that is going to be critical. And I think if you're trying to project – um, who's going to play. And obviously, you know, being a rookie this year is incredibly difficult. Uh, it, it, it's a year that's going to favor veterans and it's going to favor sort of keeping the, the status quo when it comes to uh, playing time. However, if the Browns have that much faith in these guys and they can learn and, you know, get, get the information uh, through the classroom and stuff like that, and be able to apply it when they get on the field. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see somebody like Jacob Phillips end up playing a lot more uh, than maybe people suspect because he is exactly what they are targeting. And, and Mac Wilson certainly going to have his opportunity to prove he's that guy. But uh, you know, th- this group didn't draft him. Although it is interesting because Joe Woods did talk about him compared to Drake Greenlaw. A comparison I will never understand, uh, but <laughs> certainly that's going to be an important part of 
the evaluation is how quickly can you process information and react. And Mac Wilson, for all the things he does well, if he knows what's coming, he can do a nice job with it. When he doesn't, you know, that's where he ran into some issues. And, and people who uh, did not like Joe Schobert uh, were blaming Schobert for things that were at times Mac Wilson's fault. And look, and this isn't a knock on Mac Wilson. And obviously, you know, you guys have been, you know, following here what we're, you know, obviously what's going on with Twitter as far as, you know, David Njoku and this stuff. Look, David Njoku in year two proved his worth, proved what he could be in the NFL. This isn't a knock against Mac Wilson. I don't root against anybody on this franchise. But for you to just, for anybody just to say he's going to go out there and get it, look, he didn't get it done against the run while he was at Alabama. He didn't get it done against the run as a rookie. Can it change? Look, players have grown and improved in the NFL. I'm not saying it can't, but anybody who's saying he's going to, you have no basis for that argument, for that belief. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, we talk about, you know, and, and Pete brought it up a ton, you know, when we go through the draft, it, you know, it's not about, you know, what I think, it's about what I can prove. To this point, we can prove Mac Wilson has had serious, serious issues, whether it was in Tuscaloosa, whether it was here with the Browns, against the run game. That's just a fact to this point. If he improves, aces. If they end up with a linebacker core that ain't making no money and they got you know, three guys that are maybe interchangeable and can do all things well, that's a bonus for them. But, again, the way this defense is going to be structured, they are not banking on that and they're not you know, too concerned about it because they have every thought of playing a bunch of defensive backs. Uh, we're going to get to a little bit more here. Um, and this one was actually kind of interesting, and I want to pick this one apart from Daryl Ryder because I don't really necessarily know exactly how this is going to work. Um, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Spotify, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, ratings and reviews, guys, they always help the show. Uh, appreciate that, and thank you. Now, Pete, uh, Daryl Ryder talks about, and let's make sure I bring this up specifically correctly because um, now what he's talking about here is about you know where some of these franchises are headed. Um and Darryl, uh, I'm sorry, Daryl, uh, Darren Ravel, my bad, absolutely, 100%, um, spoke the average franchise value in the last 80 days has dropped maybe 20% or more, which would probably be understandable, and that 10 to 20 teams could be sold by 2022. Um, he quoted franchises like the Giants, the Raiders, the Titans. Um, it seems weird for a couple of these. Look, the Giants, um, which are owned by the Mara family and the Tish family, the Mara family their life, their blood, their business is the New York Giants. Regardless, at whatever point they were to choose to sell it, obviously they're going to walk away with a boatload of money and obviously a tremendous return of their investment. Uh, the other half owners, the Tish family, they have their hands in other things, maybe not necessarily looking to sell. Um, the Raiders, it would seem weird that you're going to make this move to Vegas where you have this opportunity to, you know, yeah, I mean, look, it's costing them. And we, we taught, you know, this with Khalil Mack, obviously a year and a half ago um, in the Raiders, but, you know, you want to probably cash in on that new opportunity with the Raiders. Um, Titans is an interesting one, but Pete, if your team, if your franchise is down right now and it is down in value, which could be 20%, I mean, look, either way, it's still a God awful amount of money that you would get by selling said franchise, but these are smart businessmen. You don't get yourself into a position to own a professional sports franchise without knowing a thing or two or a thousand things or two. Why? sell low wait till the world gets back because once everything is right again people are going to be foaming at the mouth to get back into a building even if it's just to see one game a year buy merchandise buy all in i just don't understand how powerful businessmen 
wealthy, wealthy businessmen and women would just say now, oh, well, let's just cut freight now and we'll take a 20% loss. Yeah, it, the, none of it makes sense. The, 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 the talk of the uh, owners, the minority owners in Washington saying that they want, want to sell, I, I don't know how much truth there is to that because I don't imagine there's much of a market to get in there. Uh, I mean, to, to the extent that there's always people who want to get involved with the NFL and there are, if there's a belief that it's being undervalued, I mean, you could say it, but at the same time, it's sort of a toxic situation, and I can't imagine too many people trying to get in with Dan Snyder at this point. Um, you know, saying the value of a franchise is 20% lower, you can say that, but unless somebody sells some, puts a team up for sale and we see offers, I don't, I don't know how you can see that. Um other than basically saying that everything is worth 20% less based on what's going on in the world. But if, if the giants went up for sale, as an example, I, I think they would get way more than, than I think they would get way more than, than the full value of, uh, of whatever Darren Ravel is citing by virtue of the, the name, the team, everything that goes on with that. And, and, you know, the inherent value with that. So it's one of those things we can, we can say that teams aren't worth as much, but all of this is sort of academic until somebody puts a team up for sale and we see just how much it goes for. And, and I think there may be franchises that don't fetch as much of a price, but too many of them are iconic for one, one reason or another and, and may get even more, than they're asking for. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think I think you can sort of talk in those terms, but I don't think it, it, it holds much water in terms of just what that means practically. It, 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 from the, I don't know, it just seems like, you know, you, you don't cut and run, obviously. You, you don't sell at your lowest. Um, with the Giants, there's the way the stadium works, obviously, because it is a shared stadium between them and the Jets. Um, Tennessee, look, you went to the AFC championship game last year. Obviously COVID is hurting, obviously, you know, your overall value of your franchise. Um, but you think you have a strong product. You have a great defense. Um, you have, you know, the NFL's leading rusher, which seems to be, you know, the key where you can kind of keep the game shorter and let your defense excel where, you know, look, they're basically, you know, yinging while everybody else is yanging right now. The Raiders, you know, you have all of this coming in, you know, with this, brand new building and it is sick looking it's just an incredible looking building i can only imagine what it looks like on the inside it just it just doesn't make sense from that standpoint and pe- nobody's talking about the caveat of this is okay what about the potential buyers they're going through their own financial struggles struggles right now um are you going to take that 300 million maybe applied to the white house for um and go with it and buy a pro sprinch, pro, uh, pro sports franchise this is affecting sellers just as much as would it affect potential buyers. Well, I mean, there are certain people, individuals who are basically immune. Jeff Bezos is immune to market forces at this point. Uh, and you can decide if that's good or bad, but he can, you know, he can offer whatever he wants. And that's sort of where I think it's very difficult to say that, you know, a team isn't worth such and such because there are these people out there 
who have nothing else to do with, they have so much money that there's nothing else to do. And if they want it, they can essentially offer whatever they want. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree that, that, that if, if it's affecting the NFL, it's certainly affecting all these other things, but ultimately there are just too many people that can potentially pay well over market price to get exactly what they want in terms of an NFL franchise. The NFL offers licenses to print money. And unless you've decided that I am content to have made all the money I'm going to make uh, and my family doesn't need to make any more money or any of this stuff for generations, then you can get it. But unless somebody makes the conclusion that basically football is dying or something to that effect, I I just, it doesn't, I, I just don't see it. Now, um, makes zero sense. And, you know, I, I, I just don't get it. Um, and you know, where Ravel came with his numbers, I, I, I have no idea. And, you know, I mean, this giants organization, especially the Maris side of it, it's, it's them, it's their lifeblood. It's, it's, you know, one of their children, it's one of their grandchildren, just not seeing it here. Oh, uh, we've got a little bit more here to come on locked on Browns, Jeff Lloyd, Pete Smith rolling you through here on a Thursday. Uh, guys, if you're not, make sure you're checking everything out and reading over at Browns Digest. Pete and his team obviously doing a fantastic job over there. Uh, Browns PFN through Pro, uh, Pro Football Network, uh, you know, pumping pieces out, you know, daily here, uh, itching hopefully for when camp can start, you know, just be able to put out more and more content here. Please make sure you are checking out everything over Browns Digest, Browns PFN. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Pete, as far as what can happen here, um, you know, come the fall, you know, with the effects of COVID, um, you know, if obviously the league gets to start on time, these where is where is the addedness? Is the addedness to the practice squad? Um, you know, obviously there's talks about you know two two more guys already to the active roster. What do you do? Where are you know essentially the reinforcements coming? If say you run through a rough week where you get three guys who test with COVID, and I don't even know how this is going to work because if anybody look if you know if you don't follow NASCAR. Jimmy Johnson tested positive for COVID. I want to say it was like last Friday. Was unable to race over the weekend. Um, tested negative, I think, Monday and Tuesday or Tuesday and Wednesday. And is now cleared to race again this weekend. So I'm not really even sure how this is going to work as far as if a player tests positive, how it's essentially going to be handled. Because you have this scenario where Jimmy Johnson essentially had COVID for you know 96 hours, 120-something hours, whatever it may be. But where are the reinforcements essentially stored, Pete? Is it going to be in a practice squad type, or are they going to go ahead and let you have two more on the active roster but still address the same amount of folks for game day? Yeah, I'm curious to see how this plays out because, you know, certain areas geographically make more sense than others, but I can't help but wonder if, like, you basically take the same approach as all-star games, which is – you know, when it comes to, uh, like, the, the Senior Bowl, there are a couple, like, uh, you know, performance academy type things uh, in Pensacola. That So, basically, it's, like, people are a couple hours away, um, but they can get there in a day if need be. Uh, you know, or you could say it's sort of like a baseball minor league system, except, obviously, they're not. Um, you know, they're, they're not playing their own side of games, is, is do you essentially have your practice squad 
in sort of another building or whatever in case you need them because of this. Uh, you, you want them sort of away so they're not potentially exposed at the same time anyone else would be within the team. Uh, and you have to find a way to pay them so they actually, you know, they don't have to go find jobs elsewhere and all that. Whether that's in the form of a practice squad, which is obviously the easy way, easiest way to do it, and what the numbers look like that on that, I don't know. But if if the threat is that, you know, which isn't unreasonable, that you're going to only take 75 to 80 players uh, to camp or whatever, you have to find a way to deal with the hundreds of players that would potentially be out of the league and may not come back. So that would be one way to do it, which is essentially say, you know, the practice squad is normally 10 guys. We're going to give you 15 guys and you can sign these guys, keep them elsewhere. You can obviously do all the virtual stuff uh, like you've been doing, but you're not going to be able to, or, you know, just from a, a, a practicality standpoint, you're not going to have them in the same building because if you need them, you want them to be able to be essentially quarantined uh, from any potential exposure. So that might be the most reasonable thing. Uh, the, the, when it comes to this issue, people are spitballing ideas all over the place. It's unclear if any has really taken hold with the league, but you know, as we keep going and, and if this 75 to 80 stuff is more likely to happen then you I don't think the NFL is going to want to just send several hundred players out uh, who are then going to likely have to go get jobs elsewhere or unless the XFL is coming back or whatever uh, that they, they they don't essentially have to sort of move on with their lives uh, and it's you know and this year more than ever you're going to have these guys and where they would maybe be fringe. And you're talking about your guys that would be a 53, a 53rd guy. Um, to use a name, prime example, uh, Peter, a guy like Brian Cox Jr., um, a guy who can come in, you know, give you an effort, you know, obviously not a star by any means. And there's going to be guys like similar to him who this year, you know, maybe more than ever, maybe, you know, uh, worth their weight in gold more than they have in years past because, you know, say so, so-and-so comes back, you move on from that fringe player. But meanwhile, come Tuesday, there's going to be somebody else, one of these other 31 NFL teams that say, look, I at least need a guy that I can get in here for one game, maybe two games, who at least has experience. And I'm not taking some 21-year-old kid who was an undrafted free agent, barely knows my system, has, has at best, I mean, because we're not going to have a preseason, so it's not like these guys are probably going to get reps there. These guys, I mean, it seems weird to say, and obviously they're not going to make an outlandish amount of money for their efforts. They're they're going to be worth their weight in gold this season. Uh, theoretically, I mean, though they they they're going to be more in demand than they have been. Uh, but all this depends on you know how well the NFL can sort of deal with. Uh, the task at hand. If they can deal with it, then this may not really be a factor. If they can't, um, then it may not matter at all in that you won't have it. Uh, you won't have games played. Uh, I don't know what the middle ground of that looks like. Obviously, the NFL is intent on playing. Uh, obviously, players are intent on playing. Um, but somehow, some way, you've got to figure this out if you're going to do this. And yeah, uh, there's got to be I don't want to say you have to like 
pay them hazard pay, but it's almost like you have to pay them hazard pay because obviously they're uh, at a little more risk. At the same time, obviously these guys are you know chasing a dream; they've been chasing their whole lives, so it may not take that much uh, prodding to get them. But yeah, I expect there are going to be guys who garner a little bit more attention than they otherwise would have uh, in terms of showing up roster spots or practice squads or whatever it is, just in case. I mean, you know, what what for whatever reason you would think. This would be great for Colin Kaepernick, but to this point, we've heard nothing on that front. So it, it's difficult to know if the NFL sort of really embraced this notion that they're going to have to uh, figure this out. It, it's going to be insane in uh, you know, in that respect here. Um, it's just kooky, kooky, kooky. Um, as far as, you know, what's – you know, left to be done. And, and, and this is things that are going to get interesting here, Pete, you know, you have things as far as, you know, returnability and, you know, you have people's Jones, obviously you brought in, you know, Jojo uh, from the Rams, you have Dontrell, Will, uh, Dontrell Hilliard here as an incumbent. Like this is going to be one of the more interesting ones here. And once what we keep talking about, you know, as far as, you know, back end of the guy, you know, back into the roster guys is what can you do besides, you know, what you, your position is, and look, you know, for Donovan's people, Jones, it's going to be, you know, possibly, you know, covering kicks and hopefully returning them as far as being a depth receiver. Um, where, where's the spot here essentially for a third running back? And what are they looking for in said guy in a third running back? Um, and, you know, again, you know, Jojo Natson, you know, it's going to be more than just returnability because, you know, they have guys that would like to develop who can do that too here. Who do you think ends up being return the return guy? And out of Donovan Peoples-Jones, out of JoJo Natson, uh, out of Dontrell Hilliard, which of those three? How many? If who? Who's actually going to be here once we hit September? Well, I think the whole situation makes it more important that players can help on special teams. I think it's going to be that much more difficult to be a player that doesn't regularly contribute. Uh, in a, in a big way to not play special teams, I think, um, because if you lose sort of a, you know, a guy that contributes heavily there, um, you have to have the next man up who can do that and you can't just throw it together. So this year's going to be, you know, challenging for special teams coaches to sort of figure this thing out. Um, so you need as many versatile guys as you can get more so than most years. Uh, I, I, I think it's, Donovan Peoples Jones's job to lose uh, by virtue of the fact that they believe he can contribute as a receiver. Um, I, I think if he can show enough, he's going to win that job. I think JoJo Natson's obviously at a disadvantage in that he's nominally a wide receiver, but he's really just uh, a guy who can return kicks and punts. And I think that's going to be a more difficult sell for teams to go that route this year than than any than any other it's i mean and it's hard enough in a normal year to be just uh, a guy who returns kicks uh that doesn't do anything else so i mean i think that would obviously help um people's jones case i think they're gonna try to give him as many opportunities to succeed in that and not just carry him on the roster and essentially have him do nothing uh, you know it's the same deal with uh the uh, third back is he he can return kicks? Can he can he do those things like pass protect? 
Uh, you can catch a little bit out of the backfield. He's he's got that ability. So all of this would suggest that JoJo Nathan's going to have a really really difficult time, as would anyone who's only this, uh, o- only a you know a linebacker, or only a wide receiver, only a tight end. You have to be able to find a way to do other things because the team may just simply not be able to keep you because they have to be able to to field those units. Now, Pete, I mean, this is an interesting one. Who essentially, who stays? Who is the you know third running back on this uh, team? Obviously, Kareem's going to be here. We all know Nick Chubb's going to be here. And as you know, Janovich is going to be here. Who ends up being that third running back? Well, I mean, we'll see how this coaching staff feels. Is it Heron, think, is it Brian Heron from? I mean, the undrafted free agent from Georgia. Is that is it, you know could it work out that way? I think it's still going to be Dontrell Hilliard. I think they like Dontrell Hilliard. I think the last team liked Dontrell Hilliard. I know he's not, you know, he's not a guy you want to give the ball twenty times to, but he is interesting. When he catches the ball in the backfield, he can do some stuff. He can. He's fast. He's got returnability. He's got explosive talent. Uh, I think. If they're ever in a situation where, if if not for the fact that they have Chubb and Hunt, maybe maybe Hilliard's got a little bit more of a challenge because he's probably not a pure running back and he's more like a a lighter Duke Johnson type. But I think as long as those guys are here, then he becomes a more viable option. I, I mean, I don't know what to say about uh the undrafted guys, the one's a bowling ball and the other really didn't play at Georgia, but he went to Georgia, which is, you know, obviously just been producing an obscene amount of great running backs. So without seeing him, it, it, it's difficult to say. I, I can say based on what we've seen from Hilliard, he can do things that look like an NFL back. Um, And, you know, look, I mean, Dontrell Hilliard's had some moments. I, you know, obviously I think better receiver than running back. Um, But again, you know, what's here, um, it's he's going to have to win people over. You know, it's it, obviously nothing is going to be earned for him. There's you know, no familiarity with you know any of the staff here to Dontrell's game. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but you know, the fact that he can return a kick it, when he's been asked to, um, punts, he, he's done it. You know, all not too great. Um, definitely, probably more of a threat out of the backfield. You know, so if God forbid if something happened to Kareem, you know, hell, you could probably give you you know a little bit more within you know that aspect of it. Uh, well, time just keeps rolling on by here. Uh, Pete, NFL-wise, Kyle, I guess maybe I'm sure you want to probably speak about, you know, the Ivy League's decision yesterday. Uh, yeah, the Ivy League, that's a big deal. Um, the Ivy League canceled its season, at least in terms of playing fall sports in fall. Uh, there's, it's not clear if they're going to try to make the move to spring. That's definitely not a guarantee. Um, but they were the canary in the coal mine the first time when it was winter sports and spring sports, and they canceled them first uh, before anyone else did of the D1 conferences. Some D2 and D3 teams have already done some canceling. Uh, but it's not a small deal, and they do have NFL talent, uh, and they do have guys that matter. I think it's interesting that when you think about whose children go to the Ivy League that they're canceling so early um, is something worth considering. But <laughs> just, you know, it, it, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a notable gap between the, the Ivy League and the NFL, obviously. Uh, and there's obviously a number of steps in between. But, you know, the NFL 
and, and the players union are both super determined to play. They want the money. They want to play. And, and it's going to take a lot to stop them. But if the Ivy League is starting something that's going to happen, the ACC moved back sports in the fall to September 1st and made it so winter sports couldn't uh, – uh, just just moving it to September, September 1st, which does nothing, by the way. That's That's nothing. Moving it back two weeks isn't going to save anything. Uh, but if other conferences follow suit, the NFL does not want to be in a position where they're the only league going when it comes to football. They don't, you know, as as steadfast as they are to, to make that money, I don't think they want to be in a position where the, the, everybody's looking at them going, how the hell are you going to try to play football when everybody else in the country isn't? Uh, so, yeah, the Ivy League thing is big. They play a sh- shorter schedule. They don't travel a whole lot. They play within their conference. So I would say that is a real cause for concern. That is something um, that, that we'll see if other conferences follow suit. Obviously, look, there's a financial interest in all these teams to play. They, 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 they need the money, which is why we're where we are now. But, you know, if, if things don't, start turning around in a hurry. Don't be surprised when we're looking at this and going, well, the Ivy League was right again. Everybody else is shutting it down and there's no football. And I can't uh, – that's going to be a really difficult situation uh, if, you know, we go from no uh, – you go into fall with no, with no football. And, I, I, you know, it doesn't mean that basketball and baseball don't matter. It doesn't matter – mean the NHL doesn't matter – but it's just different in this nation when it comes to football. And you've got people who know ahead of time where they're going to be on potentially Friday or Saturday or Sunday or some combination therein, and suddenly that is gone. <laughs> it's – look, it's it's real. Um, and, you know, for me, obviously, you know, where the Ivy League schools are here, you know, up and down the East Coast, um, where it seems to be getting better and, you know, uh, a state like Connecticut, you know, mandated, you know, what's your plan? Um, schools going back in September, um, New Jersey trying like hell to have these kids within a classroom setting by the beginning of September. Um, but then you have, you know, obviously, you know, the institutions in the Ivy League and all the important wealthy people who are involved with those schools with either, you know, degrees from them or direct ties to them, how that's going to work out. And I mean, we'll see. Um, the the Ivy League obviously doesn't generate the money nowhere near Big Ten, SEC, yada yada yada. Um, but for them to you know go ahead and make this decision, which would essentially I mean would be seven weeks ahead of time, um, is certainly something that you know other conferences, uh, you know bigger conferences, you know are going to have to take notice of. Um, but like we said, it's going to be a one week process, two week process, month process. Um, just be patient. We'll see where all that at. And you, if you really want all this, everybody put on your damn masks for the 150th time, which has probably been the thing I've said the most since the draft process on Lockdown Browns, which I never thought I would say. Um, we'll put a bow on this one here. Obviously, everything Browns Digest on SI.com. Um, make sure you follow Browns Digest on Twitter. Uh, Pete and his team, obviously, Sean, Brandon, they're doing a fantastic job over there with Browns Digest. Um, make sure you're following at underscore Pete Smith underscore. The show at Locked On Browns, all lowercase. Always follow back account. DMs are open. Uh, me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, DMs are open. Ideas, thoughts for the show. We always appreciate it. I have them. Um, you guys 
end up generating a ton of content for us. Um, and if we can talk about what you want to hear, obviously that makes it all the more better for you listeners. And I appreciate you guys for taking the time out, uh, you know, being with us day in, day out. Do me a favor, please make sure you're following at Browns PFN, uh, the Twitter handle for the Pro Football, uh, Pro Football Network page for the Cleveland Browns. Um, as we continue to grow here, I do appreciate everybody for that. Until the next time, this has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.